this feeling of depression might also disappear because the fact that you can go out and yeah, and even drive a car after some time if you get seizure free. So I mean, so everything is connected. Fellow Homo sapiens. Now, seizures are just one symptom of epilepsy. And so in part two of two, it's brilliant to have epileptologist Mortelling Velocius, lead of the National Centre for Epilepsy in Norway, be a leader in the field who sees beyond the seizures. Following on from last week, where Morton spoke of his work as part of Epicare and Life Beyond Seizures, Morton provides recommendations regarding appointments for clinicians and the person with the epilepsy, talks about drug side effects, precision medicine and improved access to care. My name is Morten Ingevalossius and I'm an adult neurologist and uh, we like to call ourselves epileptologists because we work with only patients with epilepsy. I um, I also have been working with kids and, and the elderly. So what would you recommend for um both clinicians and potentially people with epilepsy who are listening to this, um, what, what should they, is there anything that you think that would be beneficial for people to um, treat and care for people with epilepsy more effectively when considering um, psychosocial issues? And is there something that you would recommend to people with epilepsy as well who are identifying with this? Yeah, a lot, a lot of recommendation, I guess. <laughs> Okay. Maybe I could start with the physicians. I think they should use these uh, questionnaires uh, more often. And, and they, the nurse could, could, could give their questionnaire to the patient when they sit in the waiting room and they can fill it out and then you can discuss the findings afterwards. Especially we haven't talked as much about sexual problems. I know that was something I discussed in a podcast earlier, but uh, it's very difficult to make might might be difficult to ask the patient about it. And but if the patient has to fill in something about sexual issues, then it's much more easier to discuss it uh, afterwards. But when it comes to the patient, I think before you have a have a um, visit at the outpatient clinic, you should make a, a list of what thing the things you want to discuss. I had this patient um, earlier today who had this, uh, what do you call it? Uh, in Norwegian we call it uh, a mind map or something. She had written a lot of words like anxiety, feeling, fear of losing out, uh, um, side effects on this map and all the things that she was struggling with. And I think that was a great idea actually. I took a picture of it and uh, we're going to do something. Oh, was it the patient's idea, was it? Yes, the patient's idea, definitely. I know they oh. are in use in, the, 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 in our children's department by the nurses, but I normally haven't seen it in an outpatient clinic consultation because they, they are like half an hour or so. so but, but I think it was excellent. And I took a picture of it and, and I will follow it up and, and she will make a new map the next time I see her or him uh, and see if, if it has improved. So. But again, try to to discuss all the things that you have on your mind, and, and, and to do that in an efficient way, it's, it's good to make a short list and, and, and bring it to the to the doctor. So perhaps you could make the list before the appointment, before you even show yeah, up. Yeah, that was my idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Ah. Yeah, that's what, definitely what you should. It shouldn't be too long because then you can. Wow, but but the most important things, and it has happened. It's, it's a cliche, probably, but. But uh, sometimes ago, I remember this patient, it was an old, old woman actually, 80 something, and she stopped in the door and said, what about these drugs? What about sexuality? Because I, I don't have this libido anymore. It used to be much better for two years ago. So, so then we had to sit down and, and discuss our drugs and see if we could do, change the drugs. 
And I was stupid. I thought, oh, 82, maybe it wasn't that important, but of course it is. So <laughs> stupid me. I'd say good on you, girl, you know. <laughs> That's actually a great um, thing for us to be talking about because I think lots of, well, society often, it's not just clinicians, lots of society often makes presumptions, I think, that, you, uh, which are totally unfair that, you know, you get to a certain age or perhaps sex isn't of priority to you anymore. But it's not the case for everyone, it's for lots of people, perhaps. Again, if you then have these three, two or three questionnaires in the waiting room, um, maybe it would help. Mm. And it's very efficient because you can look at them and if you see, okay, they are not scoring at all at the side effects, well, then they probably don't have many side effects. But because it's important to remember that very many patients doesn't have, don't have the side effects, but some definitely have. And you might have to ask some additional questions, but if you use these questionnaires, it's quite good cover. I think that's an important thing you mentioned, actually, because we often talk just about people who have negative side effects of drugs or, or uh, morbidities accompanying seizures, but actually loads of people don't have these, right? And we're all, we're all very envious of them, but that, you know, there are lots of people in this situation, which is a great thing. Yeah, that's a great thing. And yes, most drugs are quite well tolerated. But on the other hand, when I did my RCT and took away the, all the drugs, then the patients, okay, I didn't know, but I probably have had, ex- <laughs> had side effects because now I think much more clearly. And now I, so, yeah, but that's not an issue. But, but they, as I said, and you said, most people, have a good tolerance uh, when it comes to drugs. But, uh, and it might be small things that you can do as a physician or as a patient just to, to get the, um, to, 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 to ease the burden of the, of the side effects by small dose reduction, take the drug at a different time, take it just before you go to bed. There's a lot of things you can discuss, of course, but, but, but as you said, I probably think you said it in the beginning that these drugs, common side effects of these drugs well, some of them at least are, are um, increasing depressive symptoms, uh, maybe some negative effect on sleep, uh, on anxiety. So, um. And isn't it hard to identify sometimes how we can, a person might start taking these anti-seizure medications and it feels like the drugs are having this awful impact potentially on cognitive function, making them sleepy. But actually, is it the... The so it could be the social aspects of the epilepsy and the restrictions the person feels that might um, make them really depressed, which makes them sleepy during the day, which keeps them awake at night because they're so anxious and worried about life, um, understandably. Um, and so again, I can't, we've kind of touched on this before, but it can be really hard to identify what's the cause um, and separate sort of or identify causation from just correlation. <laughs> you sound like a researcher. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's actually what we're struggling with, and, and both the patient and, 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 and the physician and the nurses and all the other healthcare workers. So um, the good thing about the center like ours is that we have time to discuss this and time to investigate it because the patients stay for for at least quite a few days um okay. but it's 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 difficult uh but again uh, so the best thing is of course is to let patient come to me without any drugs <laughs> and then i do all the assessments <laughs> and then i start the drug and then do the assessments again again sorry both cognitive assessments and, and, and psychosocial assessments and, and and then we can say more about possible side effects but 
patients I have at my center, they have tried the 10 or 12 drugs already and wow. are on one or two or three drugs. So then it's even more difficult, of course. Yeah. But, but as you said, uh, having, a dr- uh, having a drug and, and get rid of the seizures, that might be, and it's very <laughs> very good for the patient. And then the sort of this feeling of depression might also disappear because the fact that you can go out and yeah, and even drive a car after some time if you get seizure free. So I mean, so everything is connected. I mean, it's interconnected and it goes both ways, and it's um, it's difficult, but you have to try try to do something but try not to do everything at the same time that's very tempting when you're a physician (laughs) yeah definitely yeah so i suppose things need to be tested out and it almost doesn't seem it is you do have like the sort of scientific thoughts behind the scenes but sometimes it's a bit trial and error right based on the information you already have but lots of trial and error because it's so different from from each patient to to another So, so that's what we like to call precision medicine to try to to find the, the the best drug for the patient because most of our drugs are when it comes to efficacy more or less the same for many of them at least for the focal epilepsies so then it's important to get the drug that's good for the patient if if, if it is a chubby patient you should probably not give a drug that will give the patient even more weight if it is a depressed patient you should probably not give a drug that that has depression as a, as a common side effects. So yeah, it has to be tailored, of course. And I think we know quite a lot about the drugs and we know quite a lot about the patients. So it is possible to, to, to tailor uh, the uh, treatments. Would you say that it's um, because of all these, you know, factors that can change over time, um, whether it's due to biological changes with the, or social changes with the patient or their surroundings, it's important to have regular appointments with each person so that you can potentially adjust their care and treatment if necessary. I think so, yeah, but it's not always possible, but I think you should have that, of course, especially if you have a de novo epilepsy, a debut of epilepsy, you should have... have um, regular controls with a specialist, but it's difficult because the capacity is not that good uh, at different hospitals. Uh, so it's, it's, it's difficult, but I think at least you should have one appointment with a neurologist or a pediatric neurologist uh, per year. Yeah, I agree. I spoke to a chap once and he hadn't had an appointment with a neurologist for 20 years. And I was like, what, dude? That is just, that's awful. And yes, you can ask for another appointment. In a way, as I said in the beginning, you don't necessarily, don't have to have all these seizures. You have a lot of challenges outside the seizures, which we have been speaking about <laughs> for some time now. And, 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 and it, the, the GP is, of course, has a very tough job because the GP has to know everything about everything. And we're neurologists, we can sort of narrow it. It's uh, specialized and it's much easier for us to to ask the correct questions when it comes to side effects and, and, and morbidities, comorbidities. So I guess it's important for the GP to know when to refer, refer and to say, actually, I don't know the answers to these questions or how to help this patient as well as or in the how they need. So I will refer them or re-refer them to a, a specialist. Yeah, but you might get a response to, sorry, 
we don't have a capacity at our hospital. We can't. So that's, I mean, one thing is wanting it, but the other thing is, is getting it. So uh, in the ideal world, of course, I think the <laughs> patient adaptives you should be followed by a neurologist. Um, yes, well, that's what every everyone deserves, and they deserve the best, the best care that they can that they can get. And and maybe a message for people listening now is that even if you don't have an epilepsy yourself, or anybody in your family might not have an epilepsy, we do need your support and an encouragement to provide um, funding for hospitals and social care and and things like that to improve these people's quality of life. Exactly. Having a chronic disease like epilepsy, you, you deserve some specialist follow-up, definitely, because there are so many other morbidities that we have talked about. Thank you to Morton for being so cool as to see beyond the seizures, to see the overall picture of what can affect the quality of life with those with an epilepsy, and also to help us work towards improving it. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.